Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, Acts 6, 8 through 15, and we'll dive in in just a moment. Uh, last year, our, our friend, our good friend Melanie, uh, went on a, she, she took off on a three-month hiking excursion uh, and, and, and did what's called the Pacific Crest Trail, where she started, I think she started in California, and she worked her way up through the Pacific Northwest, but the trail is, uh, it's two, I got to get this number right, it's 2,653 miles, uh, and so she, she uh, took off, and, and one of the things is, is we, as our small group met together, she said uh, she could only take the bare essentials, okay? She can only take the bare essentials. And so uh, she literally was going to head out with, with just uh, the backpack on her back uh, for, for months of outdoor living, Bear Gorilla style. So like, I, would not, I would not survive. <laughs> as much as I pride myself as a man like on, on, my, on my strength and my ability to innovate and adapt. Y'all, I, I, I need my Charmin double ply, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, like if you, if you tell me essentials, um, a portable air conditioning unit is going to be part of that deal, okay? Uh, so three months, like for me, I mean, just that's 48 pounds of cliff bars, alone, just for just to cover three months. Um, seriously, it's, it's why I, I befriend uh, Eagle Scouts, because my scout badge career never got off the ground. Um, just, just the essentials, okay? Church, as Acts unfolds, what, what is really unfolding is a gospel movement, Amen. What is really unfolding is a, a gospel movement. Yet there's, we see different characters. We've already, we've already seen God work through Peter and John. In Acts chapter 6 and 7, we get introduced uh, to Stephen. Uh, we're gonna, in, in, in a couple of chapters, we're going to meet Philip. It's going to be back to Peter. Uh, and then ultimately, we're going to meet Saul, who uh, Saul turned Paul. But with Stephen, I, I think we see uh, some of what I would say are the essentials uh, of, a, of a powerful gospel movement. And it's important because if you, if you think about your life, okay, I, I think as Christians, a lot of times we're like, you might say, man, like I want God to move, right? Like I want God to move. Man, I would love, like I want to be a part of, of like some sort of spiritual awakening, some type of revival where people just come back to God and know that God is good and that He loves them. And then He sent Jesus to die for their sin that they might have life through Him. Like I want to be a part of something like that. But here's the question. Do you, do you even have the essentials? 
do we do we really understand sort of the the, the crucial components of a gospel movement. And so this morning, as we move into our text, I I, want to look at some of these essentials of of a powerful gospel movement. So the first thing, I want to look at verse 8. And the first thing I want to say this morning, if you're following along in your bulletin, is this. Gospel movements are fueled by grace and power. Amen? Gospel movements are fueled by grace and power. I want you to look at your neighbor and say grace and power. If you don't have a neighbor, just talk to your invisible neighbor. We won't judge you. Look at your other neighbor and say, grace and power. Awesome. So verse 8 says this. Steve and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Pastor Matt last week talked, talked about this. He talked about how our service must not only meet felt needs, but also point back to the gospel and open doors of opportunity for gospel speech. Amen? Uh, that, that's a huge thing. This, this was the case with Stephen. So Stephen, for him, service sort of overflowed into gospel speech and witness. And, and so he wasn't just content to meet the needs of these Hellenistic, these Greek-speaking Jewish widows. Uh, he, he ended up, uh, he, he began to reach out to his other Jewish compatriots with the gospel. And, and, and keep in mind, Stephen was, he was sort of the super deacon of deacons, okay? Uh, so, so when the text tells us that, that uh, he was doing signs, you know, signs and, and, and wonders, wonders and signs among the people, uh, it's not a, real, a, a veiled reference to his incredible cream souffle for the widows, okay? That's, that's, not, that's not what it's talking about. God's hand was on this dude's life and he was using him in power and he was opening up his mouth and speaking the gospel. And so uh, we'll, we'll dive into to where he was in a moment, this synagogue of the freed men. But, but we got to understand the difference between the temple and the synagogue in, 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 in these, the, those, those days. So, so there was one temple, right? One temple in Jerusalem. It was the place of the the sacrifice where the priests administered the sacrificial system. But even historically in Jerusalem, we know this. Synagogues, there there were multiple synagogues. And there were synagogues all over uh, the Roman Empire. The synagogue was a place for teaching and instruction. It was a place of prayer. It was a place where they would sing songs and psalms. Uh, and, And so Stephen now, he finds himself outside the church walls, rubbing shoulders with these former, uh, his former Hellenistic brethren at the local synagogue. And the text tells us that he was full of grace and power. Don't gloss over that. See, in the Greek, that word for grace is the word charis. It's just the undeserved favor of God on us. But now, see, grace was reflecting outward from, from Stephen's life outward to others. This, this dude was loving others with the unconditional, no-strings-attached love of God. Amen? His life was characterized by this grace. But it says this, he was also full of power. It's the Greek word dunamis. We've talked about this before. We see this word in Acts. The, in the Greek, it's the potentiality to exert Force, 
The potentiality to exert force. So it's where we get our, our English word for dynamite. So church, let this sink in. Ready? Stephen was a gracious, powerful man. Let that sink in. Stephen was a gracious, powerful man. Oh, how we need to strike that balance in the church today. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? Man, we're either, we're either like Rob Bell, where everybody's in, like nobody's going to hell. You can, you can get to God in a multiplicity of ways. Or, or you're the street preacher outside the MSC, like yelling at everybody. Telling everybody they're going to hell, right? Just angry at the world. Uh, has the appearance of power, but devoid of love. And I think so often when we only have negative examples to draw from, we don't, we, it's hard for us to grasp a healthy picture of what this looks like. But Stephen, y'all, he struck the balance, amen? He, he struck this balance well. He was operating in power. He spoke boldly and he spoke fearlessly. He wasn't afraid to engage others, even, even to the point of confrontation. But what drove him was not like this fleshly desire to be right. Like he wasn't trying to be a jerk for Jesus, right? He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't seeking out conflict and he wasn't trying to make himself look good. He was driven by grace. He understood that the same grace that he had received vertically from God was a grace that he was supposed to pour out horizontally uh, on others around him. And so empowered by the Spirit of God, he was a force to be reckoned with. He, there, was a, there was a weight, there was a weightiness to his words. There was a substance about his life that could not be ignored. But all of this, listen, church, it was driven by gracious character. He was, he was full of grace, but yet there was a power about his life. When I was a, when I was a kid, there was a, there was a man uh, by the name of J.C. Cherry that attended my church. And J.C. Uh, was very poor. He did, he did not have a lot. Uh, he, uh, and the other thing to, about J.C. is J.C. had a, a severe cerebral palsy to the point that you could, uh, you, you could hardly make out the, the, the speech, the words that were coming out of his mouth. And, and I still have memories of this, of, of this dude, J.C., uh, cruising all over Angleton on his oversized bicycle because he couldn't drive a car. But y'all, grace exuded from this man's life, exuded from this man's life. And J.C., he, he loved kids. In fact, he, he watched me grow up. He was about 10 or 15 years older than my parents. He watched me grow up and even ministered to me uh, as I was a kid uh, in, in the children's ministry in my parents' little Baptist church. And even as an adult, when I would go home and when I would go and worship at my parents' church, I, I, every time we would go through the doors of that church, you see J.C., and J.C. always was smiling, and he was always serving, and he was always showing people the unconditional love of God in Jesus. And church, let me tell you, there was a power behind J.C.'s life, amen? There was a power behind his life. There was nothing fake about him. There was no pride. There was no, there was no pretense. His was a life of grace and impact. 
And about five years ago, uh, JC passed away. But let me, let me, let me say this. When I, when I die and, and, and when I see JC in the kingdom of God, after, after all the sermons I've preached and all the ministry I've been a part of, like I'm going to be asking JC if I can leave my kingdom little shack to come out, hang out in his kingdom palace, okay? His was a life of grace and power. Here's the application. Church, we've got to get this right. Be, be gracious, but not, but not cheap grace, not, not pseudo grace to, to excuse or, or to approve sin. Quit, quit, quit telling people it's okay just to do them. Oh, it's okay to, to do you. Do what makes you happy, right? Do, just live, live. Quit telling people to live their truth. What if, what if their truth leads them to hell while we sit idly by? No, grace doesn't mean we sit by and watch as people persist in rebellion against God. Yes, we like love unconditionally, absolutely. But also love them enough, love people enough to warn them that sin destroys people's lives. Love them enough to speak in power and boldness into their lives and know that your, your obedience and, and your, your faithfulness to the Word of God is going to drive a spiritual power in your life that is going to confound the world. Like the world's not going to know what to do with you, just like it didn't know what, know what to do with Stephen. Gospel movements are fueled by grace and power. Second thing this morning, as we look at verses 9 and 10, Gospel movements are fortified by wisdom and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Uh, that, like, that's a mouthful. So how about this? How about we just say wisdom in the Spirit? Okay? Look at your neighbor and say wisdom in the Spirit. Look at your other neighbor and say wisdom in the Spirit. <laughs> awesome. You're like, do I got to say fortified by the wisdom and the leader? What? Verse, eight, verse 9 and 10. It says this. Then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And we'll stop right there. Gospel movements are fortified by wisdom and by the leadership of the Spirit of God. Church, notice the language of, of, of really fierce opposition throughout this text. In verse 9, they, you see they were disputing. In, in verse 10, they were trying to withstand Stephen. Verse 11, instigated. Verse 12, stirred up. This is, this is the language of opposition. And, and in Acts 6, Stephen, he's facing this onslaught of opposition, but it's going to turn into outright persecution. And, and, and ultimately, it's going to lead to his martyrdom in Acts chapter 7. But verse 9 tells us that these Hellenistic Jews were from the synagogue of the freedmen. The, so these were, these were Greek-speaking Jewish, uh, this was a Greek-speaking Jewish synagogue comprised of former slaves from all over, from the, the places mentioned in our text. And now these people had been emancipated and they had their own place, their own synagogue, their own place of worship. So these men, they, they, they rose up against Stephen. 
but ultimately they were frustrated in, in their attempts uh, to, to shut him down, to silence him, and to sideline him. In verse 10 reveals why. The text says this, they could not, they could not uh, deal with his wisdom. Um, they could not withstand the wisdom with which he was speaking. In the Greek, that word wisdom is this word Sophia. And it means this. It's the capacity to understand and as a result to act wisely, to be prudent. So, so, but not only that, it talks about the spirit and not the human spirit. In the Greek, it's this word pneuma. So, so it is a, a, a reference to the, the third person of the Trinity, a title for the third person of the Trinity. In, in church, understand this. These, thing, these two things go hand in hand. Amen? When you're being led by the spirit of God, your life is going to be characterized by wisdom. Right? It, it's just so, so Stephen knew the word of God. If there's any question about that, uh, read Acts chapter 7, because he recites like half the Old Testament, okay? Stephen knew the Word of God, but for Stephen, it wasn't just this head knowledge of Scripture. It was the application of, of Scripture that drove the wisdom. It was the application of the Word that drove wisdom. He clearly, check this out, he clearly understood how to apply the Word of God in the truth of the Gospel to his cultural context. Y'all hear me? <laughs> he understood how to apply the Word of God in the truth of the Gospel to the cultural context and the cultural climate around him. And as he moved out of the way and allowed the Spirit of God to, to fill him and, and follow the Spirit's lead in the mission, y'all, he was unstoppable, led by the Spirit, characterized by wisdom. When I was a teenager, I, I, would, I would watch this, this show, um, Home Improvement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got some tool men. Um, and, and, and so, if you watch Home Improvement, you got Tim Allen's character, Tim the Toolman Taylor, okay? And, and, and Tim the Toolman Taylor, um, at there's always drama going on, right? Every episode, like, his, something's going down. There's, there's turmoil with his work. There's turmoil with, with his family. There's personal drama. And, 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 and he had this neighbor, Wilson, that any time his world was in trouble, he just, it, like when the world was in trouble, he just like walked to, across the backyard and there Wilson is, you know, with his, with his little no, like eyes above the fence. And he would always go and, and, and Wilson was the, the calming, wise voice of reason from over the top of the fence. Y'all, um, the church is supposed to be the Wilson to the world, Okay. Are y'all with me? The church, we're supposed to be Wilson to the world. And so what's the application with 9 and 10? Listen, the church at any given time, 
We face a barrage of opposition. Even now, like there are spiritual forces at work that are trying to kill our unity. Like they're, they're trying to get us sidetracked from the mission of loving God and loving others and sharing Jesus in a time when the world needs the, the message of Jesus the most. And, 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 and I, I've said this before, but I think in a lot of ways this COVID era is just sort of exposing the church. It's exposing the church. I read this past week that the, a study that revealed that many, many people are spending upwards of 90 hours a week, 90 hours a week consuming news, media, social media, uh, podcasts, articles, and the like. And it contrasts that with time spent in worship. Time spent in the Word of God. Time spent in, in, in prayer. Like it's not even close. And what does this mean? Uh, among other things, it means that the church has lost a holistic biblical worldview. Like we have lost a holistic biblical worldview. No, like we, we, we cherry pick Scripture. We cherry pick Scripture to fit our ideology. But we are not driven by faith in the Word of God, church. I don't know if y'all hear me this morning. We are not driven by faith in the Word of God. We're driven by pride. We're driven by fear. We're driven by the desire to make others conform to our expectations and our perception. And the, what, like, think about what the result has been. There is a vacuum of biblical wisdom in the church. There's this vacuum. There's this void of biblical wisdom. And we listen. We have long surpassed our saturation point with the plethora of information available to us. Can I get an amen on that? Like we have like long surpassed the saturation point. And two things are happening. And I'm going to bring this back to wisdom. But there's two things that are happening. One, the vast majority of the information is already prepackaged to fit a certain ideology or worldview before it ever even gets to you. Okay, and the second thing is this, if we're not church, if we're not steeped in a holistic biblical worldview, and if our our lives are not characterized by unwavering faith, we will consume the information from our favorite chosen source as the gospel truth instead of letting the gospel inform that truth (laughs) or lack thereof. We need wisdom. James 1, 5 says, I'm sorry, Noah, I'm getting him all riled up. If any of you lacks, lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James three seventeen. but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, just like a Facebook discussion, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. Colossians 3.16, the first part says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 
And in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What, what fortifies us against the attacks and the opposition? We, we actively, we fight our flesh. We, we stay surrendered to the Spirit of God. And we allow the Word of Christ, as it says in Colossians, to dwell in us richly. And as we respond to the Word of God and the Spirit of God moving through us, we, we live in wisdom. And Tony Morita says this, Wisdom is more than a set of principles. Wisdom is a person. Let me say that again. Wisdom is more than just a set of principles. Wisdom is a, is a person. When you are united to Jesus, he, he makes you wise. Not the Jesus of your own making, the Jesus of Scripture. He enables you to make sense of this life, Marita says. Third thing this morning is this, as we look at 11 through 15. Gospel movements are filled with countercultural speech. Let, let me say that again. Gospel movements are filled with countercultural speech. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, countercultural speech. <laughs> we'll just do it once. Gospel movements are filled with countercultural speech. Look at 11 through 15. It says this. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came upon him. They seized him. They brought him before the council and they set up false witness who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered us. In gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Gospel movements are, 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 are filled with countercultural speech. Though, though we can't say with exact certainty what, uh, what Stephen said against their holy place and against the law, verse 13, it's easy to fill in the gaps based on their accusation. So, so what, what was his blasphemy from verse 11, right? He was pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of the, of the law and the prophets, Matthew 5, 17. And, and that was a problem for these leaders, these religious leaders. The reason that they were so adamant about shutting Stephen down and shutting him up was simple. The message of Jesus and, and the work of Jesus was in danger of putting the temple and the synagogue out of business. Are you all with me? There was real danger. They saw it. In fact, Matthew 12, 6, Jesus said, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And after all, we've already seen that throughout the Gospels, the, the, the temple was big business. Furthermore, the, the focal point of the temple, I've already mentioned, was the sacrificial system. So as long as the religious leaders held that power, they could profit off of Israel and simultaneously sort of feed their own greedy, idolatrous hearts. So, but, if, but if Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for sin for the people, then the temple was now obsolete. 
And if Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, then Hebrews says Jesus was the greater Moses. So why would you go to the synagogue and kick it all day at the synagogue, chopping it up over the Mishnah, the oral law, when Jesus is your righteousness? They were in trouble. And Stephen's speech was controversial because it was shaking the Jewish cultural norms. Gospel speech brings life to those who are being stirred to change, stirred to repentance. But here's the thing. It brings conflict to those who don't want the righteousness and the salvation of Jesus. Brings conflict. And church, I'll say this. We can't continue to just try to tell the world what they, what they want to hear. Because gospel speech is countercultural speech. Can't, can't continue to tell people just what they want to hear. As, as parents, if, if Stephanie and I only told our kids what they wanted to hear, like I, I'm pretty sure both, their, both gerbils would be deceased by now. <laughs> Caramel and Snowball. Our, our dental bills would be through the roof because of cavity issues. Um, our, our boys uh, probably would have failed a few grades by now, okay? I, I could go on, but suffice it to say, the, the, the sin that Scripture says is bound up in their hearts would be given free reign. And so God, God has uniquely placed Steph, he's uniquely placed me in the lives of my children as their dad. And there have been plenty of times where my speech uh, has not been welcomed, okay? Times when the words that were coming out of my mouth collided with what their little hearts wanted to hear. But make no mistake, it was for their good. It's for their good. Even if they don't see it, it's for their good. In the same way, church, God has uniquely placed all of us in people's lives to share gospel speech, even when it's countercultural. One of the things that troubles me the most, and I've talked about this throughout this kind of COVID climate, is our current climate. What troubles me is that the language, the speech of the church, it just sort of mimics the culture on both sides. It just mimics the culture on, on both sides. But make no mistake, you, you, can't have, you can't have gospel movement without countercultural speech. You can't, you can't have, and specifically, the message of Christ crucified and raised. Amen? We can, we can do good. We can, we can serve others. We can talk about loving our neighbor well. We can say that we're about justice and, and, and righteousness. But if we don't point to the righteousness of Jesus, we've failed the world. And if we don't talk about the justice that was administered on Christ at the cross for everybody, we have missed it entirely. Church, Stephen's deaconing, his, his service overflowed into this gracious, countercultural gospel speech. And, and, and so what does that mean? Here, here's the application. Ready? And Matt touched on this a little bit last, last week with deaconing, but the same is true for evangelism. Listen, it is, it is not the pastor's job to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, crucified for sinners, raised his righteousness in our place. It's not the pastor's job to share the gospel with your friends. 
It's not the pastor's job to share the gospel with, with your family and your circle of influence. That, that's your job, church. You say, well, I, man, like I don't, I don't have the gift of, of evangelism. Sure you do. <laughs> you have the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, Christian. You have the gospel that's been deposited and entrusted into your heart and your soul. You have the gift. You may just not be sharing it. We talk about, we talk about what we're most passionate about. We, we talk about what we believe in the most. It's, it's, why, it's why we talk about supplements and skincare products. We talk about celebrities. We talk about shows. We talk about all kinds of stuff, but we don't talk about the Savior. And perhaps part of the problem is this. The, the second point of the message today is, is connected to the third. Okay, and, and here's what I mean by that. You, you forfeit gospel speech when you cease to operate in wisdom and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Say that again. When we get caught up in all these secondary things and when we, when we, we, we leave wisdom behind, wisdom driven by the Word of God, when we're not operating in the power of the Spirit, we forfeit our gospel witness. We forfeit our gospel speech. So the question becomes, um, if that's you, how, how, long, how long have you been living from the flesh? Church, there's no way around it. Uh, Christians should be characterized by countercultural, gracious, powerful, gospel-centered speech. Uh, I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with this this morning. Church, we, we say we want revival. And we say, like we say we want revival. We, we say we want a movement of God, but, but look to Stephen. Look to Acts 6. Look at what he was about. Look at these essentials of a, of a powerful gospel movement. Grace and power. Wisdom and the Spirit of God. Gospel-centered speech. G. Morgan Campbell once said this, Revival cannot be organized. Let me say that again. <laughs> Re- <laughs> Come next Wednesday night for revival. Revival cannot be organized. But we can set our sails, Campbell says, to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow on His people once again. Amen? I can tell you we will not see a gospel movement in the American church until we see these essentials happening. I remember as as a kid... My childhood pastor, C.E. Tipton, I have vivid memories of, of Brother Tipton sharing the gospel with groups of kids at VBS, and I was one of those kids at one point, and he would go through the Roman road, all these gospel verses from Romans, but the one that I always remember the most is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, and through the years, that verse, as I, as I heard it over and over and over again, it, it, it transformed my life. But in John 3.16, we find this truth. Y'all ready? All these essentials find their source in Jesus. Amen? All these, think about it. Grace and power? Man, Jesus laid down his life for you. But check this out. He, he was the only one powerful enough to conquer sin and death and to save you from perishing. 
And, and oh, the wisdom of God that this would be His plan from before time to deal with the depravity of sinful human hearts. Man, you want to talk about wisdom. And finally, we understand that God, the gospel, the, the gospel author who breathes and speaks life into dead, spiritually dead hearts, is the very one empowering the gospel speech that you and I share with others. All of this finds its source in Jesus. So praise God. If you, if you know Jesus, if you, if you follow Him, if you allow Him to transform your heart, your life is going to be absolutely characterized by these essentials. Amen? Our lives will be characterized by this. And you know what? The world will never be the same. Y'all pray with me this morning.